be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We went through chapter 1 last week, but we are we're not really so much going to be looking at the context of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 tonight. We're kind of having a breakout session, if we can call it that, and we're going to talk about the day of the Lord. I said last week that we were going to take some time to talk about that because that's a phrase we, we see a couple of times here in First and Second Thessalonians, and it's a phrase that we see throughout the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, uh, with that being said, we're going to talk more about the topic of the day of the Lord tonight, and then we'll get back to the context of Second Thessalonians 2 and, uh, and what's going on there next week. Uh, I will go through a lot of scriptures tonight, uh, since I will, I printed them off to you, the ones that I'll go through, uh, certainly look them up in your translation, this is the translation I use, but this is just so you can see which passages I'm using, and so you can go back and, and look these up yourself if you want to uh, study this topic in more detail. Obviously, we simply, time doesn't permit us to go through and look at the context of each of these scriptures, we're going we're gonna to briefly kind of fly by some of the different uses, uses of day of the Lord. Now, this is not every reference to the day of the Lord in Scripture, but, but you will find that this is most of them. Now, some of them, uh, some of these within these references, if you, if you read, you know, before or after, maybe you may see another mention, but it's kind of the same, the, same, the same event. So you can look that up if you want to look up all of them. I just picked some of the main ones. This is going to be most of the, of the main uh, mentions of day of the Lord in the Scriptures. All right, it's a lot of Scriptures. Like I said, we're not we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these, but we will kind of try to see the context of what's going on and maybe what application we can take from the day of the Lord that we see in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord that we see in the New Testament. Uh, what does that mean for our life? Is that a day that has come? Is that a day that comes repeatedly? Is that a day that is to come in the future? Well, we'll talk about some of those different viewpoints. So let's pray, and then we will jump in. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that you just hide me behind the cross, that I do a good job to try to present this topic and these verses tonight, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. And to each one of us in this room, dear Lord, there certainly is difference of opinion sometimes, different interpretations, even among Christians, dear Lord, about some of these things. And sometimes they're kind of tough. And so there's, there's certainly a reason for us to, to have different interpretations. But dear Lord, we, we don't want to fuss and feud over some differences, God, that, that our, our faith is not dependent on a, a perfect understanding of everything in Scripture. God, we do understand, hopefully, that Jesus is your Son. That's what matters. That's what we need to have faith in. So, dear Lord, help us to be able to study and dig in and, and try to learn and understand your Word and, and things like this, dear Lord, to the best of our ability. But, God, the things that we don't understand, well, we just trust that you are good. And so, God, I pray that you be with us in these next few minutes. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter, as it is from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Now, like I said, we'll talk about the context of that a little more and what follows next week. But the phrase here, the day of the Lord, the Lord's coming, this is a theme that we have seen throughout 1 Thessalonians and it's carrying over into 
2 Thessalonians here. That was a big, a big uh, area of concern, it appears, for the people of Thessalonica. And Paul is giving encouragement, both for those who have passed. Hey, they're going to meet the Lord one day. Those of us who are still alive, uh, should the Lord come, we're going to meet the Lord one day. And we see these mentions of this second coming of the Lord, uh, the day of the Lord. Now, we see the day of the Lord on a few occasions in the New Testament. We see it a lot more frequently in the Old Testament. And so the first passage on your list will be one of those Old Testament passages. Now, I have, I have underlined and italicized day of the Lord, just so it kind of jumps out to us. It's, of course, not italicized or, or bold in, in the Bible itself, but that's just for, for ease of us being able to see where those mentions are. I have also tried to kind of label each section. I, I put what book uh, addresses the day of the Lord in each of these uh, situations and circumstances and kind of what the passage is talking about in the context, what it's being spoken of. And so the first one we will look at is in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. Now, in the context, if you go back and read Isaiah 13, it is speaking about judgment on Babylon. Now, uh, Babylon was, was a pretty powerful nation. Uh, they overtook the Assyrians who came before them, and then they would eventually be overtaken by uh, the Medes and the Persians. But Babylon was a powerful nation. They were the nation that eventually uh, sent Judah into captivity for 70 years. And we see throughout uh, pretty much all of these days of the Lord here that there's judgment that's being placed on all the nations, on a particular nation, on Israel, on Judah, uh, we see judgment usually is what's taking place. That's a key theme that we will notice. When we see the day of the Lord in Scripture, it is speaking of a time in which there is a judgment. And in Isaiah 13, verses 4 through 6, it says, Listen, a tumult on the mountains like that of a mighty people. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations being gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mobilizing an army for war. They are coming from a far land, from the distant horizon, the Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Now, I put earth there. I, uh, that's not in the Bible, but the same word that's used for earth is used for country. It may be that your translation has the word earth there. Uh, verse 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. So in Isaiah 13, in these chapters and verses around it, we can see, if you go back and look at that, that it is speaking of a judgment that's coming on Babylon, and it is referred to as the day of the Lord. And then we see following on in Isaiah 13, verses 9 and 10, look, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with rage and burning anger, to make the earth a desolation and to destroy the sinners on it. Indeed, the stars of the sky and its constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shine. Now, I use those verses simply to show the type of language. When we see the day of the Lord, it is often accompanied with this type of language. Uh, and we see that here in this passage, the sun being dark, darkness, uh, references to the moon. Uh, we see all of these things mentioned, clouds. Uh, we see these things mentioned frequently when we go back and we study the passages that speak of the day of the Lord. Let's move on to uh, Amos, the day of the Lord in Amos. Now, in Amos, it, this passage is speaking about judgment on Israel. Now, Israel is, 
is frequently disobedient to the Lord. They frequently do not do what the Lord says. And God says, okay, I'm going to take care of you if you do what's right, and they don't do what's right. And God says, I'm going to bring destruction unless you repent. And there's always a faithful remnant. Sometimes God's people repent. Sometimes it takes time. But in Amos chapter 5, verse 18, we see this judgment on Israel. And there it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. And then if you continue reading, you'll see down in verse 20, similar language, that same type of language. Darkness is mentioned here. The day of the Lord. What's taking place in the context? Judgment on Israel. When judgment is taking place on a people, on a nation, it is often referred to in Scripture as the day of the Lord. Uh, Obadiah. Obadiah. And Obadiah, there's only one chapter there, verse 15. This is speaking of judgment on Edom. Now, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. When we see Edom in the Bible, those are the descendants from Esau. And it is the judgment of Esau that's being discussed in Obadiah. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, so it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. Now, in the context here, we see that it has moved to all the nations. Now, Earlier on, it's speaking about Edom, and by the time we get to this point where it's speaking about the day of the Lord, it's not just God bringing judgment on Edom, it's God bringing judgment on all the nations. Now, it's not uncommon as we look through some of the prophetic books, uh, Isaiah and other books, that we see lots of nations that are mentioned. This nation's going to be judged, that nation's going to be judged, and, and as we study our Bible history, we see that these nations are usually really bad nations. Even even Israel is bad uh, in a lot of occasions. And so here again, judgment, judgment on Edom, judgment on all the nations, and it's referred to as the day of the Lord. Here's another phrase that we, uh, another word that we see here. In almost every one of these instances, the day of the Lord is what? It is near. The day of the Lord is always near in all of these instances. Now, uh, sometimes near, maybe, maybe a few years down the road, but but we could say relatively quickly in most of these instances, 50, 100, maybe even 200 years, uh, it happens in a relatively short period of time. When the day of the Lord is pronounced on these people of judgment, sometimes it comes quicker than others, but in almost every one of these instances, we see similar type of language. We see the clouds, we see the darkness, we see the sun, we see the moon, we see that it is near. And this is common language that we as we continue to go, we'll see throughout the Old Testament. Zephaniah, the day of the Lord, and Zephaniah. This is speaking of judgment on Judah. Now, sometimes we'll see Israel, sometimes we'll see Judah, and that's because they were two different different groups. It, it can be a little confusion. Eventually, initially, excuse me, Israel was one was one group of God's people, but they split. There were ten tribes of Israel that became or retained the name of Israel, and there were two tribes to the south uh, that went by the name of Judah. And so two, two distinct groups. Now, when we look at Israel, Israel had a lot of bad kings. They were bad pretty much continually. Judah, however, had some good kings. They had some kings that, that would seek the Lord, and God, he, he, he bared with Judah a little bit longer. Now, in both cases, Israel was eventually overtaken by the Assyrians, and sometime later, uh, the Babylonians came in and overtook 
Judah. But uh, sometimes we see Israel, sometimes we see Judah, sometimes we may see the language kind of kind of mix and match, but they were they were two different groups. But Judah is a little more significant in that that is the tribe that Jesus would eventually uh, come from. And so we see in Zephaniah, it's speaking of judgment on Judah. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guest. And then continuing on in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, the great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord. Then the warrior's cry is bitter. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet blast, a battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high, high corner towers. And so again, we see some of this same type of language, this same type of imagery. Uh, even, even we see of trumpet blast here. Maybe some of these, you, as you read and study, you may see horns blowing or trumpet blast. This is language that we see throughout the Old Testament, and it carries over into the New Testament. We see this same type of language in the New Testament. We see this same type of language uh, carried over in the book of Revelation and some other spots in the New Testament as well. Joel is probably, uh, is probably the most debated of, of the Old Testament accounts of the day of the Lord. Uh, these, other, these other accounts that we looked at, you can go back and study the context, and it's, it's pretty easy to recognize in the context who the judgment is coming on. Now, when it, we speak of the day of the Lord, it seems clear that these days of the Lord that we have looked at are events that have already occurred. So what does that mean for us when we see the day of the Lord in the New Testament? Is there multiple days of the Lord that still occur? If a day of the Lord is a judgment on a nation or on a people, certainly God could still have days of the Lord today. But it would also seem when we read through the Scripture that there is going to be one final day of the Lord when all things will come to an end and all things will be taken care of. Now, Joel is difficult to, to, to know exactly what's being spoken of here in regards to is this all something that's happened in the future? Is this all something that is to be in the past? Is it partially in the past and partially in the future? Well, we know that partially it was some of it was to be in the future because in uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes from Joel. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on the people, and some of the people around said they are drunk. And Paul says in Acts chapter 2, and it's, it's on your list there, verse 16, on the contrary, <coughs> this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visitors, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. And so, at least in part, Peter says this is the fulfillment of what Joel was speaking of. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel said was going to come. Now, it's interesting that, that Peter uses the word in the last days there, because that's not what we see in Joel. Uh, in the Joel passage, Joel 2, verse 28, it says, After this I will pour out 
Now, after this, after what? Well, after uh, some judgment that was that's going to take place. Now, some translations uh, may may say something different than after this, and I'm sure that they do. But the point being, there's something that happens in the beginning of Joel, and at some point from what happens at the beginning up to chapter two, verse twenty-seven to twenty-eight. After that point, at some future point. Uh, there's going to be these things that we just read that Peter quoted from Acts chapter 2. Now, in Joel chapter 1, verse 15, uh, it's speaking of a judgment on God's people. Israel, Judah, it's, it's God's people that are being judged here. And it says, Woe because of that day. For the day of the Lord is near and will come uh, as devastation from the Almighty. Then in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow the horn in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents uh, of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and dense overcast, like the dawn spreading over the mountains. A great and strong people appear, such as never existed in ages past and never will again in all the generations to come. Now... There is some debate as to is Joel already fulfilled the first part or is it all future? It would seem as though in the context that when Joel is speaking, he's speaking to God's people in that moment. Now, if you go back and read Joel, what you will see taking place is a plague of locusts. However, there's some language there that's not initially easy for us to understand. Part of that language we just read here, uh, it says... um, a great and strong people appear such as never existed. Now that sounds like it's talking about people, but if you continue to read in the next few verses of that part of Joel, it appears as though it's speaking of the locust because it uses symbolic language. It's been talking about the locust. It's been talking about the devastation of the locust. And so is it talking about people or is it talking about locusts? Well, it certainly seems as though Joel is using symbolic language of people to describe these locusts uh, that are a judgment on God's people for their disobedience. Some would say, however, that all of Joel is speaking of something future, something that is yet to come. It's speaking of some destruction that is to come at a future date. Uh, I believe that probably the first part of, of Isaiah, or excuse me, of Joel here, is speaking of something that has occurred already, uh, a, a, a judgment that came on God's people, similar to these other judgments that we see uh, in these other books of the Old Testament. But we, at the very least, have to acknowledge that not all of it has it had happened at that point, or else Peter would not have said, hey, this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Now, you will often hear this, uh, you will often hear people say, well, maybe it's a dual fulfillment. It's a dual fulfillment. Now, you often hear that from those who hold the futurist view, and that's the predominant view, especially uh, among Southern Baptist churches, really all over the world. The, the futurist view, the dispensationalist view, you may not know that word, but you inevitably you've, you all know that view. Uh, you may even hold that view. That is the view that Jesus is coming at a future date, Uh, There will be a tribulation of some sort, uh, some great tribulation of some sort. Israel will be restored. The temple will be rebuilt. There will be a uh, thousand-year reign that may or may not be literal, depending on your interpretations. That is the futurist view. And so oftentimes, for those who hold the futurist view, if there's a clear fulfillment that something in the Old Testament uh, has, has been fulfilled in the context in the past, they will say, yeah, but there's parts of it that sounds future, and rightly so, because sometimes there are parts of these prophecies that sound future. So typically, 
uh, you will hear a futurist say of, of, of a passage like this. Well, maybe it was, it was fulfilled in the past and will be in the future. And that's certainly a possibility uh, because there are some things that we see in some of these passages that don't quite seem to have taken place yet, a, a, a blessing of God's people. But with that being said, as we see in Joel, for instance, that God calls his people to repent, to seek him and live. They're living in sin, but God wants to bless them, but there's something that has to be done on their, on their, on their end, and that is they have to repent. And so these promises that God gives to us, I mean, God wants to give us eternity. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to give us peace and security. But he can't just give that to us. There's something that's required on our part. That is that we repent and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, some would say, well, these things maybe weren't fulfilled fully as they were prophesied because the people didn't repent. And you could certainly argue that that would be the case because throughout the Old Testament, God's people are frequently, uh, God wants to help them and they do not repent. They continue to live in sin and they do not experience all of the blessings that God wants to give them. And so it appears as though, based on what Peter said, that at least the first part of that uh, uh, and, and Joel that we read in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 16, 17, and 18, was something that was happening in Peter's time. But what about the rest of that passage? Well, in verse 19, Acts chapter 2, verse 19, Peter says, I will display uh, wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so this sounds pretty gnarly. Uh, but again, this is the same type of language that you will see throughout the Old Testament. Not just in passages about the day of the Lord. But you will see this language about God coming on the clouds and things such as that. And that language is used uh, often when God is coming in judgment on a people. And so here we see, if we say, well this... This first part of Acts 2 that we looked at here that Peter spoke of was something that happened in Peter's day. Then when will this next part come? Is this something that happens physically or is this something that is symbolic language? Now, you could argue that maybe in the Old Testament when that language was used that it was literal. Maybe God did come in the clouds. Maybe there was the sun darkening. Or maybe that's symbolic language. Maybe it's just language of judgment. Maybe those things did not literally occur. Uh, and so there are certainly Christians who would hold uh, both viewpoints on this verse. Some would say, well, this is symbolic language that, that really, when you sum it all up, it simply speaks of judgment. And some may would say, nope, every time it says this, that God always darkened, God always did something with the clouds uh, along those lines, literally, in the Old Testament, and he will literally do it in the future. And that is certainly a possibility, too. Uh, it could go either way. I mean, we get the point. Uh, even if it's symbolic language, we still understand that God is the one doing it, that God is bringing the judgment. And if it happens literally, then so be it. God is God. He can do things ever how he sees fit to do so. And so when we look at the second part of Acts chapter 2 there, uh, and particularly verses 19, 20, and 21, uh, it appears to speak about a day of the Lord that in Peter's day had not yet come. And so it is a day of the Lord that is yet to be future. Let us continue on in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, this reference to the day of the Lord is when Paul is addressing the church, when there is one who has uh, been found guilty of sexual immorality. 
and Paul is giving some instructions. We won't look at the context. You can go back and study it. It's a good story. But uh, Paul's instruction uh, to the people of Corinth about the one who is in sin, Paul says, Turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so that's certain, certainly something that Paul looks forward to that is coming at a later date. And so it appears when we look through the Scripture that there has been many days of the Lord, and there may be many more days of the Lord, but it seems as though there's one day going to be a day of the Lord. There's going to be a final day of the Lord. At least that's, that's, that's my belief and my interpretation. There are certainly different interpretations. I'm not by any means suggesting that mine is right. You have to believe that. There are certainly Christians who would take a variety of views on that. But it seems to me that there is a day of the Lord that is going to be the final day of the Lord. Now, what does Paul mean here when he says turn that one over to Satan? Well, that's a, that's a discussion for another day. But the main concern here that we're looking at is that Paul says, hey, so that he may be saved when? In the day of the Lord, at that certain day that is still yet future to Paul. 1 Thessalonians, we just looked at this not too long ago. This is speaking uh, after the coming of, of Jesus that we saw at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4. About the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now again, this is language that is speaking of something that appears to be future. Okay, we could, we, we may could look at every one of these Old Testament passages of day of the Lord, and you may could say, yep, all of these have occurred. Or you may look at some of them and say, yeah, maybe this one's occurred, that one's occurred, but maybe there's still part of this one that I think that's still part future, and it very may uh, very well be. Uh, but these in the New Testament, at least at the time that the writers were writing them, were to be yet future for them. We see in uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2, which we started out with, uh, about some coming and alleging that the day of the Lord had come. And Paul is reassuring the people that the Lord, day of the Lord had not come at the time of his writing that letter. And then we see the last reference here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, this, this passage and in, in context is speaking about the heavens passing and the earth being burned up. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Or some of your translations may say will be burned up. So Peter, uh, along, along uh, with Paul here, uh, and, uh, appears to be speaking of a day of the Lord that is yet future. Now, as you read through Second uh, Peter chapter 3, you also see references of a flood once destroying the earth and a fire will eventually destroy the earth. Now, there are certainly uh, different points of view among Christians on that passage in Second Peter. Uh, some would say that this is more symbolic language. Uh, I would take this particular passage more literally simply because I believe that the flood was literal. And so if I believe that the flood was literal and destroyed the earth, then I have no reason to understand Second Peter chapter 3 as being symbolic all of a sudden uh, for something that, that, that has already been fulfilled in some way. It seems to me uh, that this is something that is yet future, at least in Peter's day it is yet future. And so uh, every Christian probably uh, would agree 
that these references to day of the Lord in the New Testament uh, happened, are, are going to happen, were going to happen at some point after the writers wrote them. The difference of interpretation comes with when the day of the Lord appeared. Now, we could spend hours speaking on this topic tonight. However, we will not. Uh, the, the predominant view uh, is that of the futurist, the dispensationalist. And that is that all of these things will occur a long time down the road in the future. Uh, the other view that is sometimes uh, 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 proposed is that many of these things occurred in 70 AD at the destruction of Jerusalem, which was a day of judgment that God brought on his people. Uh, it's pretty easy to see that God's going to bring judgment on his people as we look through the New Testament. When we look at Matthew 24, this is a hot chapter that we will not dissect tonight. We've talked about it in great detail in the past, but uh, there's a lot of difference of opinion as to is Matthew 24 something that has already occurred? Has it partly occurred? Has none of it occurred? Uh, a lot of times uh, when we see futures, dispensationalists, and, and, and you may be one, it doesn't matter if we are or if we're not. I'm just telling you the viewpoint. I'm not trying to sway you to one or the other. But, but typically one of the big arguments for uh, a dispensationalist is uh, we must take everything literally. And so when we see language in Matthew 24, for instance, that speaks about the Lord coming on the clouds, that that has not occurred. And we have certainly not, so far as I can tell, seen that literally happen. However, when we speak of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is the kind of language that we've seen throughout that comes when God brings judgment. And so it's possible there is some fulfillment of Matthew 24 that occurred in 70 AD. We cannot deny that that could be the case because God definitely did bring judgment. Now, you have to go back and study that. A lot of Christians aren't even familiar that there was anything that went on in 70 AD, but there was a lot that went on and a great destruction uh, that occurred on God's people and in Jerusalem. However, uh, when I read Matthew 24, I can't, I, I'm not convinced at least that all of those things have happened in the past. I still believe that there is some part of Matthew 24 that appears to be pointing toward something that will occur in the future. And I think that that is the, is the mindset of these New Testament authors too, that there is a day of the Lord that is yet to come in the future. But how far into the future? Well, that is another problem of difficulty because as we see in the Old Testament, when we see the day of the Lord, it is always when, it is always near. And quite frankly, it is, you could argue, pretty near within a relatively short period of time. But then we get to the book of Revelation, and guess what? It says these things must soon be. These things are near. Well, the dispensationalists, the futurists, would say we must take everything literally, but then there's a problem. They say, well, that, well, that hasn't occurred yet. So the way that we can get around that if we are a dispensationalist, we say, well, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So what's near to us is not near to the Lord. So it is certainly possible when we look at the book of Revelation that some of those events, we're speaking of events that occurred in 70 AD, it's heavily symbolic language, and it's very difficult for us to make heads or tails of that. However, uh, you can look at through Revelation and study it, as probably uh, many of us have, and there are certainly things in there that I say, okay, that, that could have happened in the past, but then there are other things that I say, I just can't see that that's happened in the past. I still think that there is some, some future fulfillment to come in some way. Now, even in a room this size with this few people, it's likely that there are probably three different interpretations and views on these passages and on the day of the Lord and on what has been fulfilled, 
and what may be fulfilled in the future. Uh, it is important for us to study these things and understand them as best we can. So what do we make of the day of the Lord? Well, there's one thing that I think we can say for sure of the day of the Lord, and that is the day of the Lord is a time of judgment. And there have been many days of the Lord in the past. Throughout the Bible, we see many days of the Lord. But we can also say that there appears to be a day of the Lord that may come in the future. And, and maybe there's many days of the Lord. Maybe God will bring judgment on this nation. And maybe that would be a day of the Lord. Now, I don't believe that there's going to be another prophet that's going to come and prophesy about the United States and all these things. I don't believe that the United States is mentioned in Scripture. But that's not to say that God doesn't bring judgment on nations. And if God did, then I don't think it would be, it would be out of line to say that is a day of the Lord. God brought judgment on many nations at once in the Old Testament, and that was a day of the Lord. He may bring judgment on many nations to us today. But I believe, and this is just my belief, I'll tell you because I'm teaching you, and you need to know what I believe, not necessarily because it's, it's, I'm telling you it's the right thing, but just so you know, I believe that, that there will be a future day of the Lord that will come. I believe Jesus Christ will return. I believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I believe that that's going to be a literal, physical thing, and I believe it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't, I, you know, we can argue all day and night about will there be a rapture, will there be a tribulation, will there be this kind of millennium. I don't know about all those things, but I do know, I do know this. I do know that the day of the Lord is a bad day for those who are not in the Lord. For those who are in the Lord, it is a good day. For those who seek the Lord and call on the name of the Lord... As we see, if you go back and study these things, guess what? God delivers his people in the Old Testament when they seek him. And even, even Peter says so in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved in the day of the Lord. So whatever the day of the Lord may be, uh, should there be a future day of the Lord that should come, it will be a day of judgment. How do we escape the judgment of God? We escape the judgment of God by calling on the Lord by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is not a good thing for those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is punishment and judgment for those who do evil. And we see that in every one of these examples that we have looked at in the Old Testament. And I believe we will see it again in our day. And one day, regardless of what the return of Christ may look like, one day we will stand before God. One day we will stand in judgment before God. And we will either experience the wrath of God in God's judgment, or we will experience the grace of God in God's judgment. What determines what we will experience? Whether or not we call on the name of the Lord. And if we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We, we thank you for your words. This is kind of a difficult topic dear lord there's so many things that we barely kind of scrape the scrape the top of them dear lord but one thing that we see clearly in your word is that the day of the lord is a is a scary day dear lord we do not want to be those who experience your wrath and judgment on the day of the lord so god let us be those who seek you god maybe we are those who are sinful now let us be those who call out to you and repent god that's what you call your people to if we would just repent if we would humble ourselves before you Dear Lord, you blessed your people in the Old Testament and you still want to bless your people today that will call out to you. So God, I pray that if there is one in this room 
that does not know Jesus Christ, that today that they'd call out to Him. That today would be a day that they are your child, dear Lord. That today would be the day that they don't, they don't worry about your wrath and judgment of the future, but they know, God, that Jesus has taken that judgment on their behalf. God, I pray whatever, whatever our view may be of, of passages like these, God, even among Christians, we may differ. But dear Lord, help us to love Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, to do your work, to follow the commands of Scripture. And God, whatever future day of the Lord may look like, whatever future coming may look like, dear Lord, we don't have to know what it'll look like. We just have to trust Jesus and be ready. And whatever it looks like, it'll look just right for those who put their faith in it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.